All right, we have here Hussein Halak, founder of Momentable Art, founder of multiple companies, serial entrepreneur. Um, we had the privilege of speaking with Hussein offline just, just before this, and his story is incredible. Um, his mission is amazing, so I'm excited to dial in here. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation as well. Absolutely, man. Same here. So with that, why don't you just catch us up to speed on what life looks like? So, you know, you had mentioned... Damascus, Syria, all the way to now living in Vancouver uh, in Canada, um, founder of multiple companies. Walk us through kind of what life looks like today and, and what your story was. Sure. Um, not sure why my, my camera just disappeared. If you give me just one second, my apologies. Yeah, take your time. Do you see me still or? Yeah, we, uh, so we don't see you, but we, are, we can definitely hear you loud and clear. All right. I don't know why. It just uh, it switched off on its own. Uh, one more second. My apologies for that. Technical difficulties always happen. There we go. You're back. All right, we're back. Um, so uh, I'll I'll jump right into the answer. Thank you very much for uh, for having me. In great question. So I've been all my life. I've been an entrepreneur, not because I I kind of knew what an entrepreneur is. I uh, just kind of fell into it. I was uh, studying engineering, and I wanted to uh, fund myself through through university. And I started uh, using my art skills. So I became a graphic designer. And uh, by the time I graduated, already had my marketing company. So from there, I started companies mainly because I see something I wanted to happen and I go after it. I didn't know that's called starting companies. Actually, the time I learned what an entrepreneur means is 2003, after I started like several companies by that time. It's like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Okay, so now I have a name for it. Because uh, my, mo my mom keeps doesn't know what I do still till date. It's like, what do you do? Can you just tell me? Because, uh, you know, we're used to like people being be having a job. Right now, I pursue my mission of bringing people together. And the way we do so and the way I do so with my team is by making sure that our cultural heritage, you know, there's a millennia of art. Everybody talks about AI art and what AI can do. But there's a millennia of cultural and artistic work that we as humans have produced and it's sitting in storage. In fact, 97% of all art and culture that we produce is sitting in storage. It's not exhibited at all. So we want to change that. And that's uh, what our mission is. And we believe that will bring people together. And so what does that change look like? So how do you go about creating an initiative right that? Is that reaching out to collectors to see if they can display their things? Um, what, what's that model look like? Uh, excellent question. I would say the when when we first started, we thought that we would bring together a ton of artists uh, that that they sh they exhibit their work, and we started doing that. And we talked to museums and artists. The problem is, they take a long time to to do that. Uh, it's just the nature of of the work in that in that space in the art and culture space. So we we're still doing that. We're still collaborating with museums, talking with artists, but also there is uh, something called public artworks. Uh, so most museums have a public database where they, uh, they have tons of artworks, thousands upon thousands of artworks that are available. It's free, copyright, you can use it however you wish, but it's existing in databases, which is very hard to browse and to see. So we took those uh, and we're taking those. We started with a few databases and we're making them available in a Netflix-like experience. So you go in our platform, you see play, you hit play, and suddenly art is playing on your screen as if it's a documentary made by the BBC. So that is, that is a quite a different experience than you clicking through and knowing what to find. A lot of people don't know what kind of art they would like until they see it. What, what, what's your, so could you just talk a little bit about what 
drove you and got you into this space to begin with? So you serial entrepreneur, multiple business involvements. Like where, where, how did you land in this? I know a lot of entrepreneurs that we, we know and work with, they buy a lot of art to save money on taxes, not even because they like the art half the time. So like, what's, what's your relationship to art? Yeah. Well, I've always loved art. And uh, for example, I've been in love with Picasso's artwork since 1992. And I only got to see the first Picasso in real life, uh, 2022, when I went to New York. So 30 years until I saw Picasso in real life. Uh, so, and, and that's the case for many people. Um, so I've always loved art, whatever I, wherever I went, I've always in galleries or museums. When I went to New York, the first thing I wanted to visit is, are the museums. So for me, that I have an affinity to art and I love art and I love to kind of view it. And also uh, the, the inkling, the first inkling happened after 9-11. So 9-11 happens. I live in what is called the axis of evil. And um, everyone, it, it, everyone sees the people from the Arab world as terrorists. I was like, well, I live around them and not everyone's a terrorist. <laughs> there are extremists everywhere, but like there are artists, there are uh, writers. And I want to, when, uh, when we were involved in blockchain early on in 2017 in the education part, and then NFTs had their rise. And we saw it as a tool to help artists and museums raise funding. And that kind of kind of the uh, the start of getting back into the art scene, and then saw a bigger like saw a chance to achieve a bigger vision when I stumbled on the uh, public databases, and I thought like this is what is missing. What's missing is not just access to art, is people experiencing art just the way that they experience it in the gallery. When you go to a gallery, you're standing in front of a painting, and it's the most honest and the most amazing experience with art. The second best experience should be something close to that. Whereas if you go online, it's all like, you know, click through the artworks. You have to search the artwork. You have to know. A lot of people don't know. So we aim to create an easy experience. Uh, We believe Netflix, uh, uh, you know, uh, Spotify, they created a great experience where even if you don't know the artist that you want, you don't know what you want, you can browse and you can enjoy um, an experience. So we felt we should create the same with art. It shouldn't be your lack of knowledge uh, shouldn't distance you from something that you may love and you may enjoy. Is there an algorithm attached to your program, which allows people to see things that like suggest things that might be, uh, you know, people would be interested in? Yeah, we're working on that. We're working on, as I said, because it's hard for people to know what they want. We are thinking the same thing that, you know, you click on a movie in Netflix, it starts to understand like, oh, maybe you'd like this, maybe you'd like that. So we're building that. We are, by the end of this year, we will have, we're aiming to have at least half a million artworks there, if not a million. So our goal is a million. And then we will have enough data to, uh, to run algorithms that says, you know, if you like this, you'd probably like these with it. So right now it's completely random, which is kind of what it needs to happen. Uh, it's it's kind of the, the early days of, let's say, how YouTube used to operate. You'd randomly fall on all kind of things. And then sure. we will include the algorithm. Can you walk us through what the inner workings of the business model looks like? Like how you guys go about turning a profit in this? Yeah, we're B2B2C. What it means is that with the business to customers uh, or B2C part, we're freemium uh, model. You sign up for free, everybody can have access. And there are limitations, you know, how many paintings can you view in one row or something like that. But it's enough for anybody to enjoy art enough. And if you're one who more of an enthusiast, we have a premium subscription where it's unlimited. You know, you can view as much as you want. You can build as many playlists as you want. 
so that is the business model on the consumer side. On the business side, we are opening up for artists so that they can open their own channels. They can uh, they can make money uh, through people uh, watching their artworks, not just their artworks that are finished, but as they're doing the artwork, as they, you know, uh, sketches, stuff like that. So we're opening it up for them, and there we share in the revenue. So from what they, from what they make, we, we get commissions, and that is the other side of the business model. Do you see – so there's like an art dealer aspect to it virtually. Are there any competitors that you guys have in that space or – yeah, there is. In in a sense, uh, we uh, you can look at let's say the likes of Artsy or any uh, let's say platform that offers uh, a way to buy art. The way we're doing it is we're going after artists that are hard to be on such platforms. For example, artists from the Middle East, uh, they uh, they don't necessarily have. Uh, payment processes that are that are accessible to them. Uh, they don't. A lot of them. It's very hard for for you to contact them because they are they're still in a in an old kind of um, medium where you have to know someone to know someone to to introduce you for them to trust you to give you the art. So these are the kind of uh, artists that we're trying to bring. The artists that are inaccessible. Because most digital artists, you can find them on Instagram. Uh, not that say not we do not bring those, but we'll start with artists that are hard for you to access. And what that does, it opens up the the market and it kind of brings people to new things and opens their mind. That's sure. huge. That's huge. How has growth been for the usage on the platform? Like, where did it start? Obviously, it started from zero, but then how has it grown throughout the years? And yeah, great question. So so far, we've built a great community. We have uh, like a 30,000 size community distributed among multiple aspects. We've pivoted as a product several times. So the latest interpretation of our product is quite new. We haven't actually officially kind of told people that is that it exists or the new aspect of it exists. We had people sign up for the first collection. We launched the first collection about, uh, crypt, uh, about pharaohs and about Egypt kind of to build the excitement and we built a community of 8,000 people that are interested in the space on our discord and they love the Egyptian culture and we're trying to grow that from there the latest iteration we're actually launching by the time I think this podcast is out it will be it will be launched so it'll coincide right right with that and we're very hopeful because we've seen the interest rise and people like very excited about the possibility of this so right now we're at 30,000 kind of as a community we're hoping that translates into a lot of signups and uh, and the the platform to grow to around a hundred thousand by the end of the year. Awesome, awesome. So based on your story that you had told us, you know, you know, you're an entrepreneur at heart. You're you know, you started in marketing and all that space, but then you were an art enthusiast along the way. How have you been able to learn the business of the art side as well, and then outsource where? it might not be your zone of creative genius on like maybe the technical side or the software side. Yeah. Like how have you gone about building out your team for this project? Yeah. I've always been someone who is not phased by not knowing, like if there's something I don't know, but I'm excited about, I would jump in and try to learn. And uh, most of the time there is a lot of embarrassment and, <laughs> and, and mistakes that you make when you jump in and you don't know, like you'll make all kinds of mistakes. You'll say stupid stuff. Um, and I did that. Uh, but the 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 thing is, my desire to learn was far greater than my embarrassment, <laughs> if that makes sense. So uh, 
the way I learned is I jumped in and started asking people. I was like, okay, can we do this? And people would say, no, that wouldn't work. It's like, why? You know, and, and I started just asking. And soon enough, you would you would always, I think, bump into people that are that don't have the patience. It's like, go learn and then come back and talk to me like you don't belong. And there are people who are very, very open to telling you like, hey, that's not how it works. This is how it works. So honestly, the way I learned is through the grace of many people who are willing to open up and share. And obviously you can, at the very beginning, there wasn't that much information. I read as much as possible. Now there's a wealth of information, any field that you want. There are great people. Uh, I mean, you guys have a lot of learning about podcasts. I enjoyed reading a few of those <laughs> on your on your website. So there's a lot to learn. I think also the willingness to try. So I, I made a lot of experiments and I failed in many of them. I think it's, and looking at failure as a learning process. Um, so that's, these are the ways that I learned. In regards to the art business, there are elements that are very similar to any business. You know, you need to know how to run a business overall, and that applies to the art business. The main differences that I found in the art business is number one, um, a lot of it is about status. So uh, people will not talk to you unless you have a certain status. For example, if you all go into a gallery and they have, you know, expensive paintings, they won't have conversation with you about art. It's like the most, sometimes I'm not saying all of them, but sometimes like you either buying or you, you belong here, you don't. And I think that's very kind of, it's set up to be like that. And we want to, we don't like that. We, we believe that it's for everyone. Um, so these, there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of isolating spaces in the, in the art world. And there is a lot of hierarchy saying, you know, do you deserve to be here or do you deserve to, whereas sure. the people who work in the art scene, like, you know, museums, uh, public galleries and stuff like that are extremely open and their target is to bring more of the public in. So that's where we like to be. And that's kind of the art business we trying to, uh, to kind of, uh, perpetuate and open up. Sure. And I love your perspective on that because like we hear about it all the time, but we don't understand fully like the dark side of the, the whole art business um, and how like, you know, one side is like people that just truly love art and want to express their creativity through it and some awesome community. Um, and then the other side of it where people are just trying to like, like inflate the prices and save as much money on taxes and just kind of keep this thing stored away in a, in a free port or something like that. Can you walk us through kind of what that fine line looks like? And if, 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 if you've ever seen what that other side of the world looks like, like why does it exist? How do they go about doing this stuff? Do you see it lasting and, and what that stuff looks like? Yeah. I think the key about it is um, you can, you can relay. I'm sure you've met someone who, if he shows you something, let's say, let's say a car to make it easier. If you show a supercar and, and there's people who would talk about it like, Hey, this, this is like $200,000. And that's how they would describe it. Whereas others, they have the passion to say, well, this is like 700 horsepower and it drives like this. And look at this, you know, you would see the passion. And I think that that applies to everything, even in art, somebody would show you a painting and will tell you its price, which doesn't mean anything. Whereas somebody would tell you like, you know, who the artist is and why they bought it and why it's, uh, why it's awesome. For example, the first painting I've ever collected, I was, it was from an artist friend of mine and I walked into the gallery and that painting just stopped me. And I didn't have the money. I begged him actually not to sell it and I will pay him in installments because he was a friend of mine. And that's the first painting I, I, I collected and it was like 20 years ago and I still hang on to it and it still has the same story. And I will tell you the story instead of like its price. 
So I think that's that's a big distinction you would find is that what are they talking about? And that you will find in across the board, I think, uh, regardless if they're billionaires or, or or let's say young people. And I've been to, you know, uh, one of our uh, one of the people I worked with is is a billionaire and like their house is filled with art. And they would tell you each painting who the artist what, like how what they liked about it, why they collected it, where they collected it from. So there is that collection mentality and uh, the collector that loves the art. So we see that in the in the art scene and we see a distinction, a big distinction in that. And uh, you see them as well to what uh, initiatives they're interested in. So you see them where they show up. Some, some will show up only, and this is something we saw um, when we were building the first Creative Arab, there are people who won't buy the painting online, even if it's cheaper or from the artist. They like to buy it from the auction house because they like the spectacle. <laughs> so they like the spectacle. They like to show up there. They like to do that. And that's fine. Perfect. So we be- we there is that distinction in the art scene. I think we belong to the art space where it's all about the art. It's all about lifting artists. And there is uh, uh, that part of the art world where you know, you see curators or gallerists that go out and fish, let's say, an art talent that is hidden somewhere, and they would bring it and bring it up, and they would uplift it and introduce it to their audiences. And that's still important because that curation—it's not enough to rely on social media or the online. You need that curation, somebody to introduce you and advocate for you. And that's the part of the art scene uh, that is still active. And uh, but. We, we see a transformation into using digital tools and uh, into the artists kind of helping each other, having the more collective groups that they come together and support each other and uplift each other, not waiting for others to do that. So 30,000, uh, a 30,000-person community, that's enough to fill an arena. Like, what were some of the, like, how are you guys growing this community? Like, what's the strategy behind some of that growth? And what are some struggles you're having with that? Like, where, where are you trying to take this? What's the vision? Just talk us through some of that. Sure. So for us, the the community was driven by um, several things. Number one, uh, our love and passion for what we do. And we share with them openly. Uh, one of the things that when you have when you have a community, I think, is at the early beginnings, we did tell them, especially if we were starting in the NFT space, and uh, the NFT space is was ridden with scams and unfortunately still is. And one of the things that we were from day one is we were extremely honest with our community because we wanted to build a community more important than, uh, you know, the quick profit. We still were able to sell a collection, but regardless, throughout our community, what they love about us is we were always caring about their best interest. For example, we never told them, hey, if you buy these, they're gonna, you're going to make money. These are stuff that are art. Uh, we are we're bringing them from artists. If you're buying them, you're supporting the artists and you're supporting us, period. And a lot of people left the community because of that. And a lot of people stayed the, in the community because of that. And I think that honest connection and interaction with the community is key. And that's that's definitely how we started the community, how we're continuing the community. The other thing is we were very honest about the the movement of the market. We we believe and still believe that NFTs as a as a technology is very helpful for selling stuff online. But we don't believe that any value can come in from something being an NFT. So just because something is an NFT doesn't change its value. It's like having a book, being the book as PDF or being the book printed 
doesn't give more value. The value is in the information inside. Sure. So in similar fashion, we were always honest. And one of the things that we did is we built a community based on giving. So one of the things that we uh, we engaged in is giving people access to our uh, education courses, which were by the thousands. But because you're part of our community, you get access to them for free because we wanted an educated community. So our community realized and still till date, even though we, we've been like last year was really bumpy for us and we had to change our teams and rebuild again. And still our community stuck in with us and they appreciated the honesty and the, uh, the directness that we brought to them because that's what they're used to. So I think building a community, a friend of mine um, wrote this book. I have to remember it. <laughs> Lloyd Lubo, which guys, I, I believe like I would happy to introduce you to. He's great. He built a, um, uh, he wrote a book about community, uh, about how starting from grassroots and it's all about honesty, uh, you know, directness and being open with your community and being constantly communicating and really treating them uh, not as a, as a kind of a, you know, like something to milk, you know, uh, profit from as something to give and to nourish and you're a shepherd of. That's incredible. And, and I think we're starting to see a shift of a lot of entrepreneurs move towards that of where like, yes, while you're building a community and over time, yes, over to like, you do want to have them participate in your service or your products and things. What you're really looking to do is just deposit goodwill and continue to build that goodwill in the marketplace. One, because it feels good to do. And two, because it builds more strength in the community. And so uh, we appreciate what you're doing because that is not the easy way to go about just immediately turning business profit. Um, so it's it's a lot more of the the social entrepreneurship movement, which we're really appreciative of. And we love interviewing guests that are that are all about that. You, you had mentioned books a lot and not once have you self-promoted your own book that, that you had recently released, it looks like. Tell us a little bit more about your book and what that process looked like. Selfishly, I'm writing a book this year, so I'd love to know what that creative process looked like, but also what the book's about and, and who it's for. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, I, I, I finished writing a book called The Dark Art of Life Mastery. Uh, I'm writing another book as well. So that one I'm engaged right now in publishing. It was a very exhaustive process. I've written f four books before that and never dared to publish. I've always reached, uh, I've, I would reach like the end of the book and then I would feel that I'm no longer where the book is at. Like when I wrote the book, I had something and I've like moved, moved away and I don't want to put it out just because I wrote it. So I never felt that I want to put it out. So I wanted to write, when I started that book, I wanted to write a book that is timeless uh, for me, at least, like from my point of view, I said, whatever, wherever I am, this, these things will be true for me. So it turned out to be a set of wisdoms about how I believe I've mastered life. And obviously, everybody has their own approach. But I do believe there's a road to life mastery. Um, and I've put everything that I've learned in the process there. I've always had people come to me and ask me and they, uh, I guess they like how I approach my life and how I approach my relationship and stuff like that. And I've given them that advice. And, and so I collected all of those and wrote them. And it became kind of a self, a little bit of a biography, plus, let's say, all the learnings that I've got. So it includes some time, let's say, uh, management, some productivity, but without, you know, the preachiness of saying, here's one, two, three, you need to do. It was more like an honest conversation with a friend. So I wrote that. And I wanted to also make it very influential. So I worked with an artist that drew an artwork for each and every section. So I don't know if you saw these small little books that that kind of like every page you can read it in like less than a minute. Yep, so it's yep. kind of like that. It's not too much. 
it's around i think 60 pages or 70 pages is it is it written like uh, like the war of art like i love the how the war of art is written yeah yeah the art of war yeah yeah exactly yep awesome good stuff well uh you know we'll make sure to get that book what what are some of the give us give us a crumb or a snippet into it like what's one of the main uh, wisdoms that you that you talk about. Oh, in that sure. Book. Uh, give me just one second so I can I can uh, say that correctly. Uh, there we go. So I would say the the main uh, the main thing that uh, that probably um, uh, is the one is uh, when you really this is this is one of the biggest uh, I think uh, like findings if you wish. Um, you can't stop life. You can't slow it down. You can't, and you can't hold on to it, but you can master it. <laughs> so, uh, it's uh, so that's that's one. Uh, the uh, the other one is um, really the the first lesson in mastery is to expect nothing, and expect everything. So mm. at the same time, you are you are uh, you have to your expectations have to be basically you expect nothing to happen and you do rely on your expectation that I'm sure this is what happen. So you expect nothing will happen, but also expect everything to happen, everything that you don't plan to. What that happens, I relate the story to kind of um, uh, piloting a ship. You, This is your destination you want to pilot. The sea doesn't listen to you at all. It doesn't care who you are, no matter how great of a captain you are. You know, you can be the best captain in the world. The sea doesn't care. The sea will do what the sea will do. And you can it can be calm one day and it can be extremely uh, you know outrageous the other and uh, completely destructive as you have to navigate the the waves that you get that's it that's that's if you if you want to kind of look at life that's that's what you can do the only thing you can do is be there take the take the wheel you can't step aside because if you step aside and say you know what I, d- I don't want to deal with this or are you still in the middle of the sea. And it's still throwing your your ship all over, all over it. So you have it's it's your birthright, it's your responsibility. Take the wheel and just work with what you have. And it's um, it may sound like you know uh, I sometimes repetitive, but sometimes I found that re- relying, uh, telling people or reminding them of these things and kind of sharing with them a perspective changes things for them. And that's my experience. Is like people change with the change of perspective that is given to them. So if you look at this, every page kind of changes your perspective on something. By the end of it, hopefully you've had a different perspective on life that belongs to you. So I don't want you to adopt my perspective. I want to tell you that this is how I experience life. And I do, I do thankfully uh, envision or I think of myself as someone who achieved the success that I believe is more, most meaningful. Throughout my life, I chased everything. I chased celebrity. I was on the number one TV show in like Good Morning America. I was also on one of those in Dubai. So I've experienced some sort of, you know, like being on TV, which was a big deal at the time. I've chased money. I've had money. I've chased, you know, built. I was in Forbes magazine. I was, you know, I, I chased everything that people think is, you know, a semblance of success. And I reached there and I looked around. I was like, this is not what I thought it's not given me what I thought it would give me. And the things that I, that mattered most to me are, are simple things of life, you know, like spending a few moments with somebody you love, uh, having good time with your friends. And these are things that we all have access to. I mean, almost everyone, unless you live in a destitute place, which we need to help you, of course. But almost everyone has access to. However, no one has the sense of success or the sense of fulfillment. 
our everything in our world is shaping us to say unless you're here unless you have enough money like Elon Musk you can't have fulfillment unless you're like you know president of the United States you, you, like we have these uh, standards that we accepted that are not ours so the whole point of this book is like mastering life is all about you know making choice it's your choices it's your life and as long as you're living it by your own standard you're really successful um uh, so that's these are this is the kind of the core message of uh, of the book and it's it's not preachy it's just you know reading and having fun at least that's what people told me that's awesome that's awesome so hussein what is your what is your vision personally like what what does life look like for you over the next 10 15 20 plus years ooh um great question actually for me i think the if if it was up to me, I can uh, I I believe in three things. Number one, uh, life being around people that are fun to be around because life is too short, you know. So, as long as long as surrounded by people that I like and they like me, that's number one. Number two is that I um, I basically be around people that are aligned with my vision. So turning people around to align. And what is alignment? Alignment doesn't mean that they believe the same thing but we're heading towards similar thing. So you see sometimes, unfortunately, people in the world that are, if you follow what they wanna do, they they're very destructive. So at least I want to turn people around me to be whatever their vision of the world, but it's uh, you know collaborative and constructive. So it builds the world up rather than builds the world down. And the last thing is leaving the world more than I, better than I left it. Other, everything else is open. And that's, I think, what, what kind of my secret is is I really like, I can leave everything that I'm doing right now. You can see like behind me, there's probably a guitar. I've tried everything, you know, I, I did an album. I, I've, you know, sang on radio. I, I did, oh, I was in a band, you know, I, I drew. So I think whatever I take right now, I can literally take everything that I have right now and start something new completely tomorrow. And I will be as happy. And because the my principles are not related, like I don't want to become, you know, the best guitarist in the world. And there's nothing wrong with that, just to let you know. But that's not what I'm after. I'm after being the best me that I can be, whatever thing I touch. And I think that shift allows me to enjoy whatever I'm doing, no matter how silly or how simple it is. Yeah, I, and so articulate and so well said. I think a lot of people, we hear that, it's like cliche, like, oh, you know, don't wrap your identity up in success. But I think... Um, it's definitely a huge part of American culture, at least, um, to say the least. But I, I think you you do such a great job of articulating it so simply of how to take these mini action steps to go about a way of living without forcing it upon people as well. Um, and keeping the creativity and the margin in life to to stay creative and stay curious. Um, well, with that, we appreciate it. Um, and we're, we're excited to buy the book, read it. We're excited to uh, to hear about the next one as well. How can our listeners connect with you? Thank you. Absolutely. HusseinHalak.com. Search my name. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, or X, uh, previously Twitter. Uh, but yeah, reach out. HusseinHalak.com. Thank you. I would definitely appreciate any kind of interaction. Uh, love always welcoming people into my life and becoming friends and having conversations. So thank you for that. And thank you for having me here. It was a brilliant conversation. Excellent questions, by the way. Thank you so much. Thank we you. appreciate the feedback. And uh, God bless you, sir. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.